and all the other conditions. I'm holding it, all the other conditions which I'll get to in a moment. I still I, I have, right? The only thing I'm missing is I don't have a covered fire. Is there a prohibition to kind of make a blech on Shabbos? Bechari, there is no prohibition. Meaning, if you forgot to put a blech on before Shabbos, why can't you do it on Shabbos? What, 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 I'm thinking out loud, and the truth is, this is the halacha. What halacha are you doing by putting a plate of, uh, you know, tin on top of a, a fire? Assuming, of course, you're not going to put out the fire. That, that's going to be very important. So actually, the halacha is you are allowed to put a blech on on Shabbos. Okay, so condition number one is you're only allowed to return the pot if the fire is covered, and uh, the way this is done today is with a blech. Now, let, let's, let's talk a little bit about a blech for a moment. Blech, by the way, is just Yiddish for tin. It does, doesn't have any particular meaning. Uh, a blech, for sure, has to cover the burners, whether they're gas or electric. If it doesn't cover the burners, it's not a covered fire. That's definitionally. But what else does it have to cover? So some opinions actually say all you need is to cover the burners. Many other opinions say it's not enough to cover the burners, it should also cover the knobs that you could adjust or not adjust. That's why the black has a piece that comes down like a right angle, a little piece, because that's designed to cover the knobs. If you don't have a black that covers the knobs, what you should do before Shabbos is to tape the knobs to be sure that you're not going to adjust. Because a lot of the problems here is the rabbis were afraid you would adjust the fire. Okay? So the, the optimal blech is a piece of metal that covers both the burners and the knobs. The next best is it covers the burners and you tape up the knobs. If you're really in emergency, you don't have any tape, you don't have anything like that, uh, you can be somich on the opinions that even a blech that covers the burners will be enough. Okay, so that's condition number one. I'm only, once I take a pot off the fire, I can only put it back if it is a covered fire with a halachically valid blech. Condition one. Condition two. The food must be fully cooked. Now, it makes no difference if it's liquid or solid. If the food is only, even if it's one-third cooked or one-half cooked, so they're right, so that's called cooked. But if it's not fully cooked, you cannot put it back. And again, no difference in liquid and solid here. Okay? It's important. For, for the laws of Chazara, Generally, liquid and solid are not going to be any different. Now, what does something mean to be fully cooked? What is the definition of fully cooked? And we know if something is one-third cooked or one-half cooked, there's a special term. It is the food of Ben Jerusoy. Do you remember that? Ben Jerusoy was a thief, and he always had to eat on the run. So it's interesting that he's memorialized in the Shulchan Aruch, right? He was a ganaf. He was no, no big tzaddik. And yet he has the zechus that many halachas of Bishol are named after him. But for Chazara, we don't look at Machel ben Drusoy. It's got to be fully cooked. 
Now, what does fully cooked mean? Though? What is the difference between fully cooked? I mean, some people like things, you know, well done. The answer is fully cooked. It's a subjective answer. The answer is most people would be happy to eat it. Most people who eat it would not feel it's underdone. So the fact that you like something more cooked, or even if it would taste better, meaning even if most people would like it better, this is important. In fact, this is called mitztamek v'yafilo. If you overcook it, it tastes better. But that doesn't change it. It's still called fully cooked if most people would not think, oh, this is like underdone. Okay. So that's condition number two. Okay. Uh, condition number one, covered fire. Blech. Condition number two, fully cooked, not machel ben drusai. Condition number three, that it still has to be warm before you, meaning, obviously when you took it off the fire, obviously it was warm, but if it was off the fire long enough that it's not no longer warm, and again, we make no difference in liquid and solid here, you cannot put it back. Now, what is the definition of still warm? It does not have to be Yatsoletis meaning even if it cooled off below 110 degrees. Right? Even if it cooled off below 110 degrees, as long as it's still considered at least lukewarm and people would eat it as a warm dish, you can return it. Okay, so that's condition three, right? I went to three conditions. Right? Uh, covered fire, fully cooked, Still warm, and remember, it doesn't have to be yatsa lettuce bun. Number four, it is still in your hand, meaning you didn't put it down on the table or the counter, or if you did, you're still holding it with one hand or whatever it is, meaning you didn't let go. And number five, at the time you removed it, you intended to put it back. Meaning, if at the time you removed it, you didn't think you were going to put it back, and then you changed your mind, there would be an issue of putting it back. Okay, these are called, these are what, five conditions? And these are called the five conditions of Chazora. In order for Chazora to be permitted, there have to be five conditions. Again, covered fire, fully cooked, still warm, still held in your hand, even if it's resting on a table. And number five, you had intention, when you took it off the flame, you intended to put it back. Now, I had mentioned you should try to have all five conditions. But you can have four or five, meaning the first three conditions are absolute. Gotta have a blech, number one. Gotta be fully cooked, number two. Gotta be warm, even though it's not yet, so let us put number three. That's non-negotiable. If any of those conditions are missing, you cannot put it back. However, with respect to four or five, the post can say, meaning after the fact, if you put it down on the table, but you intended to put it back, 
or you didn't intend to put it back, but you're still holding it, either one or the other will allow you. But if you don't have four and five, meaning I put it down in the table and I didn't intend to put it back, then I cannot put it back on shop. Okay? So these are called the conditions that allow chazara. Now, let's go a little further with the conditions that allow chazara, and that is to recognize that when the conditions of chazara allow you to put something back on a fire, it will even be a different fire. So an example would simply be this. Let's imagine I have soup or cholet on the stovetop. And let's assume I discover that the gas went out for that burner. But another burner is still working. Or if I have another stove, let's say in a commercial kitchen or a shul kitchen, there may be another stove there. So the halacha is that chazara is not only to the same flame from which you took it off, but you could even move it to a different flame, provided, of course, the conditions are still met, which means the following. Let's assume I have chicken soup or I have cholet on burner number one. And then I discover that burner number one is no longer burning. And of course, on Shabbos, I can't relight. So what I can do is I can take the pot from burner number one and put it on burner number two, even a different oven, even a different room. I could even go to your house. In other words, uh, let's assume my oven is totally not working, your stove, and your stove is working, but I got to have the conditions. In other words, it has to be to a place that has a blech, number one. It has to be fully cooked. It still has to be warm. So if the power went out overnight, so by the time I wake up in the morning, it's cold, I'm not going to be able to do that. But provided it's still going to be warm and uh, it's either still in my hands or, or dato lahachzira. You know, the point basically is that the conditions that allow chazara don't only apply when you're returning it to the same flame. It would even apply if you are returning it to a different flame. And so I gave you now one example I gave you is your burner went out or your stove went out. Let me give you another example that's interesting. Cholent. Uh, uh, cholent is drying out. This is a common problem with cholent, right? You uh, make cholent and it, it slow cooks overnight. So, so let's assume you're doing it on the stovetop. Now the problem is that if it cooks for a number of hours, all the water gets evaporated and the cholent is going to burn. So you want to add water to the cholent. Now, let's make the obvious point. You obviously cannot add cold water to the cholent. Remember, the cholent is on a, is on a flame, a blech, it's a flame. If you add cold water to the cholent, you're over an isr do of cooking water. So you can only add hot water to the cholent. Okay, so how do I add hot water to the cholent? So here's the thing. I take a kettle, if I have a kettle, I take the kettle off the stove, I pour hot water into the cholent, 
And then, in terms of the kettle, I just do chazara. Right? If, I, if I return the kettle to a fire that has a blech, and the water in the kettle is still hot, and it's fully cooked, and it's in my hand, right? that's fine. But here's the question. The question is, not how can I return the kettle to the fire, that's fine, that's the original fire. But how can I take the water from the kettle and put it into the cholent on top of this fire? This is not the original fire. The answer is, that's fine. All you're doing is, you're taking something cooked from one flame to another flame. So that's perfectly fine. And you see see the analogy. In other words, what you're doing is, the water was cooking here, I'm going to return it here. Yeah, I'm not putting it in the same place where it was. But Chazara does not require that it goes to the same place that it was. You can move it from a flame to a flame. And that's what you're doing when you take from the kettle to the cholent pot. The water was in that flame and now it's in that flame. Okay, so there are two instances where this rule that it can be a different flame applies. One is where your flame went out and the other is when you want to add water to the cholent. Okay, got it? Now, an interesting machlokas is this. If I have a kettle, for sure, I can pour the kettle from the kettle into the cholent. There is one thing I have to be careful about, though. I have to be careful not to make... If my kettle is parif, you see the problem here. My kettle is parif. I pour hot water over a fleshic cholent mm. and there's generate steam from the meat. Now that steam is going to hit the kettle. So this is not a Shabbos problem. The problem is, have I made my kettle a fleshic pot that could no longer be used for milk or whatever it is? So that is something to worry about. Uh, but the way you do it is, you hold the kettle high enough above the cholent, so that by the time the vapor hits the, the, uh, the uh, kettle, it's not 110 degrees. If it's not Yatsu lettuce bow, it's not going to absorb. Remember, Yatsu lettuce bow is not only important for Shabbos, it's important for kosher and treif and meat and milk. Okay, so that's the one thing you got to be careful about. Okay. Now, what... Yeah. Um, I also wanted to ask, in terms of the electric kettles that you plug in, can you use water from there to transfer it into the cholent? Now, how do you uh, move it? So, no, so it's the kettle where you, like, flip the nozzle, it comes into the cup, and then you transfer it. Okay, so that's that's the the next thing I want to raise. Let's assume you have an urn, or an electric kettle, something that you're not going to be moving. You can't move it to the cholent. Uh, pot. Can I fill up water in a cup and then pour from a cup? In other words, I'm not pouring from the kettle. I'm pouring from a cup which got filled either from the kettle or from a pot or from the electric urn or from a regular know, urn, etc. So here, there is in fact a machlokas because some say once you've transferred the hot liquid into a cliché, that's like putting it on the ground because you've separated it from its heat source. 
But Lamaisa, I don't want to confuse you with, with all sorts of arguments. I mean, Lamaisa, the bottom line is we do permit it. So uh, if you're asking me, Lahalacha, can I fill up a cup of water from the urn and transfer it to the Cholent? Uh, the answer is I can. As long as it's, the conditions are met, it's still warm, you know, etc. And uh, in the case of water, fully cooked means it was brought to a boil. In other words, that, that's important. Meaning, Yad Soledispo is not, a, meaning like this. Okay, a little confusing. In terms of, okay, this is a little confusing. In terms of the actual temperature, it doesn't even have to be Yad Soledispo, meaning as long as it's still warm. But it had to have been fully cooked. Fully cooked means it was brought to a boil. Meaning, in order to pour water into the cholent, it is water that had already been brought to a boil and is still a little bit warm, even less than yatso lettuce. You see the point? So, on one hand, it doesn't have to be yatso lettuce now, but if it only was yatso lettuce, that wouldn't be enough because that's not fully cooked. Okay, you understand this? Fully cooked by liquid means it had reached a boiling point. But to be partially warm, it can even be below Yatsu lettuce. Okay, this is very important. So you cannot put hot water in a cholent on the fire unless the water had already been brought to a boiling point. That may be some question with some urns. Sometimes they don't always boil the water. You need to, you need to be aware of that. Okay, uh, everyone understands. So these are, this is what you call the Parsha of Chazara, meaning the rules of Chazara, and these are called the conditions, the Tanaim of Chazara. Now, let's now apply this a little bit. This is going to be a subcategory of Chazara now, right? So we're, st- we're still in Chazara, but I want to look at a little bit of a subcategory. And that is rearranging pots on a blech. Now, again, I have to emphasize that a blech is different than a plata. A plata is not a cooking surface because a plata typically doesn't have multiple settings and you can't cook raw food. So. A plata, you'll recall, as long as you're not over on actual bishul, I could take food out of the refrigerator and put it on a plata. Okay? So we're not talking about a plata. We're talking about a stovetop. Okay, be sure you understand this. The laws of chazara are uh, cooking surfaces. They would include a stovetop. They would include a crockpot. That is when you have to worry about chazara you don't have to worry about chazara on a plata because a plata is not a cooking surface. And the only thing you have to worry about is the laws of reheating, which we talked about, solids, liquid, everything else, okay? So it's important to try to compartmentalize. That's why, actually, a plata may not even need a block. Many opinions say you don't even need a block. It's just, you know, it's a... Some people put it, but you actually don't, it's not a cooking surface. Okay. So, we're talking now, again, not about a plata. We're talking about a stovetop with a blech. And I have different pots. 
and I want to rearrange the pots. I want to move them around and the like. So we're going to divide. I think I mentioned this, but now we're going to go into a bit more detail. We want, let's divide the plata, I'm sorry, let's divide the stovetop, the blech, into three areas. Part A, part B, part C. Part A is directly above the burner. Directly above the burner. Part B is adjacent to that area, but it's still hot, it still has a hot temperature, which is called a cooking surface. It's still called a cooking surface. Part C is far enough away that it's not even a temperature of 110 degrees. A, B, C. Now, when it comes to part A, all of the conditions of Chazara apply. Meaning if I take a pot off part A and I want to put it back to part B, I'm sorry, I took it off part A and I want to put it back on part A, got to follow Chazara. What about if I took it off part A and I don't want to put it back on part A, I just want to put it back on part B. So I'm not putting it back over the fire. But the answer is, anything adjacent to a fire that's Yatsoletispo is just as chamor as the fire. Which therefore means the following. If the pot is on A, and I want to put it back to A, got to follow Chazara. If the pot is, was on A, and I want to put it back to B, got to follow Chazara. If the pot was on B, and I want to put it back on B, I got to follow Chazara. Now, what about this? What if it was on B, and I take it off, and I want to put it back on A. I want to put it back directly over the flame. Now, for sure, I've got to have the laws of Chazara, but my question is, if I have the conditions of Chazara, can I actually move it from B to A? In fact, even without taking it off, let's assume, in other words, instead of saying, I took it off A and I want to, or I took it off B and I want to put it on A, let's ask a simpler question. Can I push the pot from B to A? So even though intuitively you might have an instinct that you're not allowed to do that, you actually are allowed to do that if the conditions of Chazara are met because that's treated like moving it the same way we talked about moving it from flame to flame. Moving it from B to A or A to B is treated like flame to flame. So once again, as long as I have a blech, as long as it's fully cooked, as long as it's still warm. Now, in this case, it doesn't have to be in my hands because it never, because I'm just, you understand, it doesn't have to be in my hand because I didn't remove it. If I removed it, it would be in my hand, etc. But if I'm just moving it from A to B, B to A, right? So, as a result, therefore, there is no problem of going from A to B or B to A if the conditions of Chazara are met. And that's true whether you took it off and now you're putting it back or you just pushed it. That's going to be the same. 
Now, is there a difference, therefore, between A and B halachically? Meaning, I just told you, in terms of moving the pot from B to A and from A to B, or I took it off A and I put it back on B, or I took it off from B and I put it back on A, no problem if the Chazara conditions are met. Is there any difference halachically between A and B? There are some differences, not in Chazara. But, for example, I had mentioned to you that one of the prohibitions of cooking is stirring food. Um, that's because Chazal say that stirring food is considered to be uh, something that accelerates the cooking process. And because of this, even ladling food is kind of stirring, because when you ladle, you stir. But that only applies if it's on A, meaning stirring and ladling is a problem only when the food is directly over the fire. If it's not directly over the fire, stirring and ladling are not considered cooking actions. So that's one difference between A and B. Another difference is covering a pot. Covering a pot is considered to be a cooking process because it intensifies the steam. You can uncover a pot, but you're not allowed to cover a pot of cooking food because that's called uh, cooking. But once again, that is only true if it's directly over the fire, not part B, okay? So the three differences between part, part A and part B is stirring, labeling, covering. So now you can understand why you need to move pots around here. Let's take a very simple situation. I have a pot of chicken soup on the, uh, on the stovetop. Now, I could, choose, I could choose to remove it, but there's an easier way now to do it. Now, I can't uncover and ladle when it's on A because the ladling would be considered stirring, and that's a problem. And then I wouldn't be allowed to cover it afterwards if I still wanted to cover it. But you know what I can do? I can move the pot from part A to part B. Once I move the pot from part A to part B, I can uncover, I can ladle, I can recover, and then... I can push it back to part A. Okay? So this is even easier than regular Chazara. Regular Chazara would, this is a little bit, this is a variation. Regular Chazara would be, I took it off the stovetop. And then I'd have a little problem, I'd have to have my hand on it, etc. But here, you have a way of Chazara where you, did, you never really took it off the cooking surface. And therefore, uh, you don't have to hold it. In other words, this is a case where you don't have to, you still need a black, and it has to be fully cooked, and it has to be warm. You need that. But you don't need to hold on to it with your hands because it never left the stovetop. See the difference here. Okay, everyone understands uh, this idea. Same thing with a crockpot. 
let's say you made cholent in a crockpot. Now, you understand uh, uh, one thing. There are two types of crockpots. I mean, more than that, but there are two types. One type is it doesn't have a removable insert. It's just one solid thing. I hope you understand, based on everything we're learning, why you can't use that type of crockpot on Shabbos. Because just stirring, just ladling out of it would be no good because it's directly on the heat. Unless maybe it's on a Shabbos timer where it shuts off and you, know, you could ladle it then. That might be a possibility. But uh, a Jewish crockpot should, should uh, have um, removable. Now, you can't ladle from the crockpot when it's on the heating element. Because that's, uh, that's cooking. So what you do is you take off the insert and then you have to follow the conditions of Chazara. Right? What are the conditions? That uh, it's a covered fire. Actually, I'll talk about what that means for a crockpot. That'll be interesting. Covered fire, but hold that thought. Uh, the food has to be fully cooked. It still has to be warm. You're either holding on to it or you had kavana to put it back. You can ladle from it when it's off, the heating element, and then you can put it back through the principles of chazara. But you gotta cover it before you put it back. You can't put it back and then cover it. You have to cover it and then put it back. Right? Everyone understands what's going on. Now, the interesting question about a crockpot, though, is the rule of Chazara always is when you're putting something back on a heat source, it's got to be a covered fire. In the case of a stovetop, a covered fire is a blech. What is it in the case of a crockpot? Meaning, do I got to do something to my crockpot before Shabbos? So this is a big, big machlokas, actually. There are some opinions that say, since the heating elements of a crockpot are usually covered, in other words, it depends, but if you look at most crockpots, uh, the, uh, the metal that turns red is not visible. It's, it's covered by the bottom of the inner, I'm sorry, the, of the outer crockpot. So some say a crockpot is already considered a covered fire, and the only thing you have to be concerned about is the dial. So the only thing you've got to do is tape up the dial. And you don't need to do a blech, so to speak, in the crockpot. That's opinion number one. Opinion number two, which seems to be the more common opinion, is you actually have to put a blech, so to speak, in the crockpot, which basically means you put in aluminum foil. So between the inner pot and the outer, there is aluminum foil all across the sides. Actually, technically, it wouldn't have to be across the sides, but across, at, least, at least along the bottom, that the pot is resting. You may need it on the side for another reason, which we didn't get into yet, which I will get into later. Okay? So that's something to be aware of. In other words, uh, how do you cover the fire of a crock pot? Is that necessary or not? But you have to remember that whatever it is, you cannot ladle the food from the crock pot and you, uh, no, from the, when it's attached to the uh, outer pot, and you cannot cover because those are considered cooking uh, aspects. Okay, any, uh, any, any questions about, about this? Okay, so now let's go back to the blech. 
So we've talked about, I think we covered the, the, the possibilities of A and, A and B. What about C? Right, so C is very lenient uh, in the following way. Since C does not even reach a temperature of Yad Soledespo, C is bichlal, not a cooking surface. So, huh? It's like a plata? C is like, somewhat like a plata. And because it's not a cooking surface, so you can even take cold food out of the refrigerator and put it on C, and you can even take, it's actually better than a plata, you can even take a liquid out of the plata and put it on C. So, however, you have to be very, very careful not to go from C to B or A. In other words, you're allowed to put, that's even, in fact, you can, even, you can even put uncooked food on it. In other words, it's not a cooking surface. So you can put it, you can put anything you want. You can put it, if your uh, soda is too cold, you can put it on that surface to uh, warm it up a little bit. Because it's not Yatsulazo. But here, however, Rav Moshe Feinstein has a very, very interesting tshuva that in some ways is a contradiction. Let's say you're moving your pot from surface A and instead of from A to B, you moved it to C. Can I move my pot from C back to B or A? Now, logically, I would say no. Because if C is not a, is not a cooking surface, it's like I put it on the table. And once I put it on the table, at least I shouldn't put it back. So here is where Rav Moshe seems to have a, a, an inconsistent ruling, which gives me the benefits on both sides of the equation. On one hand, C is not a cooking surface, so I could rewarm food from the refrigerator. I don't have to worry about it. On the other hand, since it is part of a single cooking type, it's not considered on the ground. So if I moved a pot from A to C, I can still return it, provided it is warm, fully cooked, and uh, the fire has a blech on it. So that's, again, I have to admit, to me, that, that's a contradiction, actually. But uh, Rav Moshe gives you the benefit of both leniencies. Okay? Uh, I hope uh, this kind of makes sense to everybody. Okay. Um, and again, as far as I know, I, I haven't fully, fully looked into every prat. I don't think Chabad is anything particularly different about uh, any of this. This is regular, the regular halachos that, that, that we follow. Okay. Alrighty. So that's what you need to know about Chazora. Another thing you need to know about Chazora, Chazora only is permitted on top of the stove. Uh, there is no heter of chazara within an oven. Which means, if you moved something out of the oven, even if it's still warm, and even if it's fully cooked, uh, you're not allowed to, and, and your hand is still on it, right, everything, and you had kavana, you wanted to put it back, it is only permitted on top of the fire. It is not permitted inside of the oven. 
Uh, the only thing is, if you haven't completely removed it, if part of it is still in the oven, you can put, push it back. So you might take out to scoop it out a little bit, and then you can put it back. But once it was totally removed from the oven, you would not be allowed to put it back. Yeah. Oven's off, but it's just still hot. Okay, so this is this is a, a good point. Uh, even if uh, if the oven is on, for sure you can't. Even if the oven is off, but it's still yad soled etzbo, it is usher. It will be mutter when the temperature is below yad soled etzbo, because then you can put anything in the oven under those circumstances. Okay. <coughs> okay, so that's what you need to know about chazara. Okay. Now, let, I'm going to mention three terms. I mean, Chazar is, is, is one term that we looked at a lot, but I'm going to mention two other terms. There are three terms you need to know in this area of halacha. The first term is shehia. The second, that's shin hei yud hei. Shehia just means leaving. You'll see what it means. The second term is chazara, which we looked at a lot. And the third term is hatmana, hey tes, mem nun hey, which means insulation. Right? So these are what you might call the adjuncts of bishul. The malacha is bishul, but we have various rules of shehia, chazara, hatmana. Each of these have, you know, many, many rules, but it's important in your mind to have a mental picture of what each one is about. Shehia deals with the question of what food am I allowed to put on my stove before Shabbos so it cooks on Shabbos, meaning I'm not going to return it, meaning when it's time to eat, I'm just going to take it off and eat it. Are there restrictions on Friday about leaving food on an oven or a stove for Shabbos. Right? So Shehia is going to discuss what can I put before Shabbos even though it's going to cook on Shabbos. That's Shehia. Chazara is, as you know, the issue of if I take it off the fire on Shabbos, when can I put it back? See, Shehia, you didn't do anything on Shabbos. Shehia is totally connected to what you do on Friday. Hatmana, which is a different thing we'll talk about uh, after I do Shehia, is about insulation, insulating food. Okay. So Shehia, this is a simple case. Um, you know, my cholent is raw. My cholent isn't cooked yet. Uh, Shabbos is in 10 minutes. Can I put uncooked food in a crock pot, in a pot on the oven, in a stove, now, Minah Torah, you need to know, there's absolutely no problem whatsoever. The Torah prohibits cooking on Shabbos. And by that I mean you did some cooking on Shabbos. According to the Torah, if you put raw food in a pot one minute before Shabbos and 99.999% of the cooking happened on Shabbos, there's no problem with that Minah Torah because you didn't do any malacha. So Shehia, by definition, cannot be a Torah concern because 
Food can be 100% raw before Shabbos. And it could cook on Shabbos as long as you didn't do anything on Shabbos. It's fine. But the Rabbanan had a certain concern with Shehiyah. And that is, if the food was not properly cooked before Shabbos, you might stoke the coals to accelerate the cooking on Shabbos. Or in modern times, that means you might turn up a burner. So, because of this, the Chachamim made a gezeira that you're not allowed to leave uncooked food on a flame on Shabbos unless one of two conditions were met. One of two, not both. Either the food was already cooked, machal ben Jerusoi, before Shabbos. So we figure you're not going to be in such a rush because you can eat it. Or the fire is covered with a blech or the light. Now, which actually means the following. You don't need both conditions. Meaning, if the food is completely raw, I need a blech. If the food is machol ben drusoy, I don't need a blech. Now, now, I need a blech for chazara. See the difference? If I'm going to take off that food and I want to put it back, I need a blech. Okay? I need a blech for chazara. And then I would have to be fully cooked. Machal ben drusoy will not be enough for chazara. But if all I want is shehiyah, Meaning, I'm not going to put it back on the fire. I'm just going to take the food and eat it. As long as when Shabbos began, it was machal ben drusai, you don't need a blech. But if it's less than machal ben drusai, you need a blech for shehiyah. Now, the custom, this is the din, the custom of religious Jews is that they require both. They will have a blech and the food be cooked at least one-third. But, and that's how you should follow. That's uh, how normally a kosher kitchen is set up. In fact, some people even do more than that. Not only machab and yusoy, they'll require it to be completely cooked before Shabbos. But under the strict halacha, people don't realize this, you don't need a blech for shehiyah if the food is kamachal ben drusai. But you will need a blech if you want to put it back, which is another reason to have a blech, practically. Because if I want to put it back, I'll need a blech. And machal ben drusai will not be enough. It'll have to be kol, a special kol. Okay? So everyone understands that she So she is not so complicated. Uh, now shehiyah can even be in the oven. Meaning, if I'm not going to put it back, I'm just going to take it out, so, shahiyah is mutter in the oven as well. So then, this raises the interesting question, okay, if I'm putting food that's less than machal ben drusoy in my oven, which I'm allowed to do, but the oven has to have a blech, the oven has to have the equivalent of a covered fire. So what, what does that mean? Is the blech on the stove top? a good blech for the oven? No. 
because the oven and the stovetop are two different surfaces, right? So you actually have to line. Actually, it doesn't have, it doesn't have to be lining the whole oven, but the, you know you have the red. Uh, you know whether let's, let's say it's electric or whatever it is. The heating things should be covered up one way or the other. Typically electric, right? So you cover it, cover it up. Okay. In other words, the oven has to have a blech. Okay. Now with ovens, there is another problem. You only need the blech if the food isn't machal on your side. That's correct. However, as I said, the minog is, even if it is machal on your side, people have a blech. Now, so again, whatever you take out of the oven, you will not be allowed to put back in. Chazara does not allow you to put it back in the oven. But you can use the oven for shihia. So what you take out, you can eat. However, with an oven, there are two problems that you have, even with shihia. Problem number one with the oven, which is not a cooking problem, but it's an electricity problem, is if it's not a Shabbos mode oven, so when you open the oven and cold air comes in, it may trigger the thermostat causing the, uh, the heating element to heat up. Right? So that's a problem that you're causing an electric flame. So you have to be careful with that. Either you know from experience that it would have to be open for 25 seconds before that happens and therefore you do it under 25 seconds. Or alternatively, uh, you get a Shabbos mode. Oh, I'm sorry, alternatively, or even without Shabbos mode, alternatively, you do it when the oven is on anyway, meaning to say, usually there's a light that tells you when the heating element is on. So when the heating element is on, I open it up because I'm not triggering anything. When the heating element is off, you got the problem of triggering. That's where Shabbos mode oven helps you because a Shabbos mode oven does not uh, operate with a thermostat when you push the Shabbos mode button. So that does mean you're gonna lose heat in the oven eventually because it's not gonna light up again, but at least you're not gonna cause more uh, the heat to be triggered, okay? So that's problem number one with an oven. Problem, and that's where Shabbos mode can help you. Problem number two with an oven is this. The same way I told you that covering a pot is a cooking problem. Closing an oven door is like covering a pot. So let's assume I'm doing shahia, and I want to take out some of the food, not all of the food. There may be a halachic problem in closing the door, which means some poskim say you have to take everything out of the oven. Meaning, if you're using your oven for shahia, you cannot take out some things and leave other things. Because when you leave other things, you're not allowed to close the oven door. Masha'en Cain, if all the food is out, then closing the oven door is not doing any cooking because there's nothing there to be cooked. Okay, so you see that I would recommend, therefore, generally speaking, in fact, this is a problem, yeah, this is a problem that Shabbos mode doesn't help you with. 
Shabbos mode will help you that you're not going to trigger the thermostat. But it's still going to be a problem in closing the door on food that may be, you know, may be cooking. So practically, I would recommend that you not use your oven on Shabbos, even for Shehiyah, uh, unless, number one, you have sh- both Shabbos mode and you're taking everything out at the same time. So those would be the two conditions. Shabbos mode and taking everything out at the same time is going to be okay, but other than that, you have a, a problem. Okay, everyone uh, got the general idea here. So Shabbos mode is very misleading, and people think, like, oh, Shabbos mode, I can cook my chicken. And, you know, most of the things you're not allowed to do, you're still not allowed to do. Shabbos mode really just deals with one particular problem, which is not even a, a visual problem, the problem of triggering a thermostat. And that's about it. Uh, every other halacha, you're still going to have a problem problem with. Okay. Now, that is Shehiyah. Okay, that's, now you know about Shehiyah. So Shehiyah is leaving it before Shabbos and taking it on Shabbos to eat without intention to put it back. Chazara is when you take it off the flame and you want to put it back. We now come to a third category, and the third category is Hatmana. Hatmana is when you take a cooked food or a cooked pot and you, you add some, su- some supplementary covering to it in order to insulate, to keep it warm. Now, technically, keeping something warm, warm, is not a malacha at all. You're just right. So this is not a do-raisa problem either. But the chachamim were afraid that if you're involved in trying to keep something warm, you might come to cook it. You might come to boil it up because you're so preoccupied with keeping it warm. So now, the easiest way to illustrate this is to give a lot of examples because hatmana is hard to understand as a concept without, uh, without examples. First, let's take a simple example of something that's actually mutter. You're not allowed to insulate food to keep it warm. So, here's the question. Could I pour hot water into a thermos bottle or a hot water bottle. Now the whole purpose of a thermos is to keep things warm. So you would figure if there's an Isser rabbinically to keep things warm, then could I use a thermos on Shabbos? So the answer is you can. The answer is you can because the Isser of Fatimana only applies to a Kli Rishon. It does not apply to a klisheni. A thermos, you understand, is a klisheni. Everyone understands why that's so. Because you heated up the water, you poured it into a thermos. So rule number one, actually maybe I'll give you the heterim before we get to the isurim. Rule number one is there is no isur of hatmana in a klisheni. For the same reason, let's assume I have a baby bottle and the baby bottle is warm. I can wrap a towel around the baby bottle to keep it warm, even though the towel is an insulated material. The towel is insulating, it's keeping the heat. Because once again, a baby bottle is a cliché. And if I poured warm formula into a baby bottle, I could insulate it with a towel. That would be an example. 
So now, some problems where there would be hatmana would be this. I think you see this more maybe in Eretz Yisrael than Chutz Laaretz, or at least, um, I mean, actually in Williamsburg, I think they do it too, where people take pots and they want to wrap towels around the pots. Right? You've seen that. Maybe you do that. Right? They wrap towels. So that is really classical hatmana, where you have the pot and you want to wrap it up to preserve heat. Or you have a tea urn. And the tea urn may not get so hot, but you put, you put a, uh, they even have, they even have special things, cover, you know, that you can cover a tea urn, right? So when you're covering a clearisha, so it'll retain its heat, that is technically hatmana. So hatmana is gonna be a potential problem when you put towels around pots, when you put covers on tea urns, that's insulation. Now, I'll go. I'll talk about how many ways this is mutter. You'll see. But I, just, I want you to get the picture of what is us. Now, what about this? What about if I have like a hot baked potato and I put it in aluminum foil so it'll stay hot? So this is a, again a very interesting loophole in hatmana. Hatmana only applies to a supplementary cover. It does not apply to the first cover. Just like, for example, putting something in a pot is not hot mana. Ah, your pot retains heat. Right? If I have a hot cup of tea, am I allowed to put a plate on top of the tea to keep it warm? The answer is yes, because even though technically it's keeping it warm, but this is the initial protector. There's the glass and there's the cover. There's the pot and there's the cover. I had mentioned you can't cover a pot that's on the fire because of cooking. But covering a pot that's off the fire is not called hatmana. Hatmana would only be an additional covering besides the pot and besides the cover. Okay, so we have a number of rules here where hatmana doesn't really become a problem. It doesn't become a problem in a klisheni, which is why you can use a thermos, a hot water bottle, and you can wrap a baby bottle in a towel. What's the difference between wrapping a baby bottle or wrapping chicken soup? Chicken what? Like a pot, chicken soup. The difference is klisheni versus klisheni. In other words, a, a baby bottle is a klisheni. Just in like a theory, thermos. If you were to take a chicken soup and like transfer it to a separate second pot. Same thing, yeah. Same, th- same, yeah. Same thing. Absolutely, same thing. Yeah. Once it's in a cliche, you could you could wrap it. Yeah, that's correct. The problem is only klirisha. Hatmana is klirisha. So so hatmana is only in a klirisha, and hatmana is only an extra covering besides the initial pot and cover for the pot. Okay. So those are two important things to keep in mind. Now, let's say I have a baby bottle, okay? I have a baby bottle, and the baby bottle is a little cold. I want to warm it up. Now, obviously, I have to be concerned for Bichel, uh, but let's assume that the milk is pasteurized, and it's still partially lukewarm. So you'll recall, liquids have already been cooked, and if they're at least lukewarm, ain't bishel, achar bishel. But I want it to be a little warmer. So I, I immerse 
So, so remember, if it's already cold milk, I cannot immerse it in a clearishon because of cooking, not because of hatmana. Right? That's the first question. But assuming I don't have a cooking problem, if I immerse a baby bottle in a bowl of hot water and it's totally submerged, that is called hatmana of the baby bottle. And I wouldn't be allowed to do that. But if part of the bait bottle is sticking up, it's not totally submerged, it's not hatmana if it's not totally submerged. And I think that would mean even if all the milk is submerged, but part of the bottle is sticking up. In other words, the bottle is not, is not full. Everyone sees the difference here. Okay. Um, but as I say, that's only going to be a hetair if the milk is not totally cold. Once the milk is cold, you have a separate problem with the Kli Rishon, and that is it's going to be Mavasha. Hatmana could be negated by a Kli Sheni, but that may not help for cold milk because Ashkenazim Paskin, that even Kli Sheni will be Mavasha, right? So, so again, this is confusing because things intersect. There are Bishal problems, then, there's, then there is Hatmana problems. Okay, now, what about this? What if I have cholent? And on Shabbos, I want to put in some kishka or kobo into the hot cholent. Now, cooking is not a problem because this is solid food and there's no cooking after cooking rice. That's not a problem. But the problem is you're using the cholent to keep the kishka warm. Is that called insulation like a baby bottle? Right? Is that the same problem? So here we say it's not a problem if your purpose is not insulation, your purpose is taste. You want the kishka to absorb the cholent, the cholent to absorb the kishka. Right? Um, any svardim put hard-boiled eggs in cholent or chamin. So even though it's being insulated, but you're really doing it for the for the taste factor. Okay, so so again, atmana is is uh, is uh, a complicated halacha, but at least be aware of the of, of the different situations. Now, good news is, atmana only applies if something is totally covered. So if you have a tear and you have a cover, and it only goes two thirds of the way down, no atmana. If you have a pot and you only surround the sides but you don't drape the towel over the top, no hatmana. Okay? So that's very good news. Uh, hatmana does not apply if something is not completely covered, just as I told you by the baby bottle. The same thing is true for a pot. The same thing is true for an urn. So you can use all of those coverings as long as it's not completely, completely covered. So now... This gives rise to the issue of a crockpot. A crockpot actually has a few different different issues here. Issue number one we talked about already, and that's chazora. When I take the inner pot out and I scoop out the food and I want to return it, I can only return it if the fire is covered. Okay, and, and how do you cover uh, the fire of a crockpot. So some say you don't have to cover the elements because the element is covered. You only have to tape the dial. Others say you have to cover the bottom so the pot is resting on the bottom. 
But now I hope you can see there's another potential problem with a crock pot, and that is hatmana, because the inner pot is submerged in an outer pot. So the outer pot is like towels around the, around the pot, right? Putting towels around the pot would be hatmana, so would the outer container be like an insulator? So some say that's why it's important that part of the inner be above the outer so it's not a complete insulation. So some say that not only do you need a blech, so to speak, to separate from the heating element, but you need to crunch it up into like balls so it raises the inner crock pot a little bit above the outer one. You see? So you actually need some aluminum foil for two different reasons. One is to allow you to return it and not have the problem of chazara, and the other is not to transgress the isser of hatmana. The difference would be the chazara blech would only require a flat lining, or some say not at all, because the heating elements are covered, but you need to have balls or something to raise the thing a little bit above. Okay, my focus, but but uh, just be aware of of these different uh, different shilas. Okay, so these are three fundamental concepts, which are offshoots of the laws of cooking: shahia, leaving it from before Shabbos; chazara, putting it back on the fire; hatmana, insulation uh, over and above the existing pot and the existing cover. But remember, above all, that all of these become relevant when you've concluded you don't have a real Bishal problem. You're dealing with rabbinic decree. When something is really Bishal, you know, these concepts aren't even relevant. Of course you can't do it because you're transgressing the laws of cooking. So everything, everything becomes operative. These ideas become operative only when, under the rules of no cooking after cooking, whatever it is, there's no real Bishal problem but we have various gezeros that the Chachamim made. Okay, any, uh, any questions about this? Okay, all right, so uh, there's a lot, uh, lot to know, a lot to learn. Um, hopefully uh, all of you will keep kitchens, we shall keep all of these, all of these halachos uh, very, very properly. Okay, um, I think I may have finished everything I want to say today, but I'll talk for a few more minutes. Okay. Um, Okay, let, let me, okay, I'll mention something totally off this topic, but it's Hilchah Shabbos anyway, so I'll, I'll mention it anyway. Um, you know, it, it's interesting that uh, there is a mitzvah, of course, to recite Kiddush both Friday night and Shabbos day, and men and women have the same obligation here, uh, because even though Kiddush is a positive mitzvah that is limited by time, but Shabbos is one of the exceptions because since in the Ten Commandments, the Aserah Zedibrites, Hashem said, remember Shabbos, and Hashem said, observe Shabbos. Observe Shabbos is the negative, don't do work. Remember Shabbos is the positive. So what is our drasha? Since Hashem said both of them at the same time, whoever has the negatives of Shabbos also has the positive. So a woman has the same obligation of a man to either say Kiddush or hear Kiddush. I mean, if you were not eating at somebody's house or whatever, 
uh, you would have to make uh, you'd have to make kiddush. So this raises some interesting questions about women in particular, though. Uh, number one, could a woman make kiddush for a man? Again, I, I mean, for Stam to make kiddush for an unrelated man might not be so tzniyas, but let's imagine a situation. You know, you're married. Uh, your husband has laryngitis or whatever it is. Could you make kiddush for your husband? The short answer is you could, because once again, the general rule in halacha is whenever you have the same obligation, a mitzvah that men and women are equally obligated, a woman could do for a man. So a woman cannot blow shofar for a man because a woman is technically exempt from hearing shofar, even though it's a custom. But a woman can make kiddush for a man because a man and a woman have the same obligation. Okay. Now, there is a rule by Kiddush. Ain Kiddush ela b'makom su'uda. You're only yotze Kiddush if you had what is called a halachic meal. Let me give you an example of the problem. In some shows, although not so much in Eretz Yisrael, you may, have, you may recall if you've gone to show Friday night that they recite Kiddush in show Friday night in some shows. But you have to understand. Did you hear one? I know Shabbos Day that they do. Yeah, Shabbos, yeah. But you have to understand if you're not eating anything, you're not Yotze Kiddush. You're going to have to make Kiddush again or hear Kiddush again because you're only Yotze Kiddush if you had what is called a Su'uda. Mm-hmm. Now, question is, what is the definition of Su'uda for me to be Yotze Kiddush? Meaning, wh- how much do I have to eat and what do I have to eat? So, there are many, many options. Obviously, the best definition of Su'uda is you actually make hamotzi and on two loaves of bread and you bench. Right? That's real Su'uda. But, we also rule that eating a kazayas of mizonos, of cake, is good. And we even, at rule, drinking four ounces of wine, four ounces, not just a little sip, four ounces of wine would be good as well. So there are really three different ways you can have a sauda, which will enable you to be Yotze Kiddush. Right? One is eating bread. Two is a kezayas of cake, for which you make an afterbracha. Three would be a revias of wine, which is also the shear for an afterbracha. A revias is four ounces. Now, that also means in the negative that if all you ate was salad or fruit or tuna or meat, chopped liver, or fish, it's a strange thing. No matter how much you ate, that would not count as a meal, halakhically. It's hard to understand, but halakha has definitions of what's called a meal. Right? You eat one piece of cake, that's called a meal. You eat five servings of gefilte fish, that's not called a meal. <laughs> Go figure. <coughs> now, here is the trick, though. You're not allowed to eat until you're Yotze Kiddush. So that actually means, if I hear Kiddush, okay, if I hear Kiddush, and I don't want to have cake 
or bread or wine. I just want to eat gefilte fish or fruit. I'm not allowed to do that because I would be eating without hearing Kiddush. Meaning even if they made Kiddush, I'm not going to say with that. See, this is very important because often in a Shabbos morning Kiddush, they'll make Kiddush and you'll want to have something. But you don't want cake. You're on a diet, you don't want cake. So the problem is, if you don't want cake, you're not going to be allowed to eat anything else because you're eating before Kiddush. Why? Because for you it's before Kiddush. It's, it's not before Kiddush because they make Kiddush. But for you it's before Kiddush because you didn't make Kiddush. You see? So that's an important thing to know. And this is on most post rule. But I'll tell you a ver- again a very interesting 